0: So usually on this night before Thanksgiving we do a kind of reflection on gratitude in a way, on, in, a, in a bigger way, on really what it means to fall in love with life, to really live with a love for life. One of my favorite teachers, Munindraji, who is no longer around, uh, was asked by one student why he meditated and what was the purpose of spiritual life and his response to live the life fully. And he didn't talk about nirvana and samadhi and like enli- just to live the life fully which really is talking about freedom, to live the life fully, to really live from the fullness of what we are, from the awake mind and the, the open heart. In my practice I've found that the breath becomes a kind of template or, or guide to living the life fully. That when we can breathe in and really breathe in, breathe in and it's almost like feel that our cells are opening to receive life energy breathe in and let it come in fully and deeply which most of us don't do that is a kind of expression of receptivity of really letting life touch us so again, I just, I'm bringing this up because we can practice with the breath in this way and when we can breathe out and really really let go of the breath, so there's no holding back there's like just a kind of a surrendering or a dissolving outward that's really an expression of uh, generosity, of giving, of offering into the world. So the breath alone, breathing in, that kind of sense of gratitude, of receiving and breathing out, of letting go. Gratitude has everything to do with happiness. I mean, we know it close up, that when we feel a sense of appreciation, when we are experiencing life and feeling a sense of really being grateful for the moment there is a kind of sweetness that is as beautiful as any other experience in the whole world. There is something about feeling gratitude when it is very pure gratitude it is not so fixed on a particular as just gratitude for living. And that, and that in us which is experiencing it isn't like a small self that's holding on to anything there's kind of a largeness that's letting the wonder in. When we really are appreciating there's a kind of sense of abundance that naturally leads to generosity. And we can see it in people that are happy they're appreciating life and there's a natural giving, there's a natural giving. So we value it. We value gratitude. Most people I know say, oh, yeah, gratitude's a great thing. And when we're honest, how much do we feel a genuine sense of gratitude? I mean, really, how often are we feeling alive with it? I don't mean abstract gratitude, like the kind of gratitude when, um, boy, it was awfully nice of so and so to do something. Are the kind of gratitude of, Phew, I'm glad that person didn't charge overtime or... You know, it's not that level. It's not in a kind of an abstraction but I mean like that a deep upwilling of appreciation. It's not so often for many of us. So it becomes an important inquiry to sense really what stops us from from breathing in and really letting this life in, in a way that, we, that we're cherishing what's happening and breathing out and really sensing a kind of giving of ourselves and the bottom line is that to feel living gratitude we have to be fully present we have to be here to be grateful for something and that our conditioning is not to be here that in any moment that we're preoccupied, that we're trying to get something done, we're trying to accomplish or prove something or protect something or get somewhere else, in those moments we can't feel that kind of quality of gratitude that really senses the sacredness of here, the quality of enough it's our very strong conditioning as most of you know to in some way be caught in wanting things different and if you examine any moment and i invite you to pause and check it out there's usually some something that's trying to hold on to something or figure something out or have less of some experience or in some way we are trying to control things, you know. So rather than just that luxuriating and just as it is, it's enough, there is a kind of leaning forward or a complaint, there is a bit of a complaint. A little story at the table, there was a a gathering, a dinner gathering and uh, the mother turned to her six-year-old daughter and said, would you like to say the blessing? And the little girl responded, well, I wouldn't know what to say. And, and then the response was, well, just say what you hear mommy say. And the daughter bowed her head and said, Lord, why on earth did I invite all these people to dinner? You know? <laughs> it's very culturally driven, this tendency to want things different that we live in a stressful culture that says things aren't going right, we need to get things done, we need to be more than we are, we need to achieve. And I was just reflecting on the economy, how the economy goes against gratitude. The economy is based on a principle of have to increase consumption and productivity. It's the basis of our economy. And there's a billion-dollar ad industry geared to make sure that we don't relax into the sense of enough. Gratitude does not go hand-in-hand with spending money, buying more, and consuming more. It just doesn't. In fact, you know, if we really began to experience right now enough, if, if people did it maybe 5% more than they do it, the economy, the entire economy would crash. Think about it. I saw one little cartoon, it said, executive quits fast-track to spend more time with possessions. <laughs> <laughs> so it's the, there's the thing in the culture, and it's true that the, with the culture and in our daily life, a lot of moments our life isn't conforming to the way we want it. There's a sense of this is not okay. It's very deep in us. And the major zone that happens is with each other. On some level, you know, you might just sense what's the ratio of criticism to gratitude. You know, moments of you want this person different, treating you different, acting differently, to just that purity of, ah, I love the way you smile, or I love the way you... Hug me, or, you know, gratitude versus criticism. The ratio of trying to control something versus just that simplicity of listening, of presence. So, one of my favorite Thanksgiving stories an old man in Phoenix calls his son in New York and says, I hate to ruin your day, but I have to tell you that your mother and I are divorcing. 45 years of misery is enough. Pop, what are you talking about? The son screams We can't stand the sight of each other any longer The old man said We're sick and tired of each other And I'm sick of talking about this So you call your sister in Chicago And tell her And he hangs up the phone Anyway, frantic, the son calls his sister who explodes on the phone. Like heck, they're getting a divorce, she shouts. I'll take care of this. She calls Phoenix immediately and screams at the old man. You are not getting divorced. Don't do a single thing until I get there. I'm calling my brother back, and we'll both be there tomorrow. Until then, don't do a thing. Do you hear me? And she hangs up the phone. The old man hangs up the phone, and he turns to his wife. Okay, he says. They're coming for Thanksgiving. Laughter And they're paying their own way. (laughs) So there's this controlling and sometimes it's off the charts and sometimes it's more subtle. And in the Buddhist teachings, it it arises out of dukkha. Dukkha is the word for whether it's suffering or anguish or dissatisfaction. But there's this chronic and it's very universal sense of kind of restlessness or dissatisfaction that things need to be different and this dukkha if we don't see it, there's not a problem with that coming up but if we're not aware of it, our whole sense of being gets organized around it and we can't arrive in the one place where there's really a sense of love or gratitude, we're always on our way trying to control things and make them different. So our practice, and we're going to explore tonight, I stopped the meditation a little early so we could do some reflections together on gratitude. There are two pathways that take us back to this kind of open-heartedness that's not caught in uh, wanting it different, resisting, holding on. There's, There's two pathways I want to explore tonight that really bring us home to the one place that we can breathe in and really let in this life and breathe out and give ourselves to this life. And one pathway, the core of our practice here, which is a mindful presence that with kindness and clarity opens to what's happening in the moment, whatever it is, we just start right here. And I sometimes call this this pathway loving what is, that we're learning to make friends with what's right here. that's one pathway the second pathway is remembering what we love there's loving what's here mindfulness with this moment and then the other is a kind of reflection on remembering what matters what we care about, what we love so pathway number one mindfulness really means being aware of what's happening in this moment without judging it without resisting it with an open attention it doesn't matter whether the weather is pleasant or unpleasant with mindfulness there is this willingness to ask those two questions what's happening right here and can I be with this, can I just let this be a story I was really touched by heard some years ago of one uh, man who went on one of the retreats and as some of you know these Retreats are mostly on silence. There's a, a talk each night and chance for an interview and so on. But there's plenty of quietness in which we really come in touch with all the different fears and hopes and patterns and dramas. And for him it was a real roller coaster. And he had experiences of enormous agitation and restlessness and then sleepiness and fog and then excitement and then curiosity and then sorrow. And He just went in and out of a lot of things. At the end, in one of the interviews, he said, You know what I realized? He said, The joy is in getting real that it didn't matter, it started not mattering so much whether the mood of the moment was one of restlessness or anxiety that the joy was this capacity of presence to be real with what is to not control it not avoid it not deny it One of the ways I've come to understand the power of mindfulness is that the more that we really become present that presence connects us with loving presence. That presence itself opens us to this quality of spaciousness and love. And it doesn't matter what the object is we're paying attention to the presence itself is what frees us. And the beauty of the Dharma, of the path, is that we can just start in any moment with exactly what's going on. Any moment. It's like any moment is the gateway to presence. And the given is that our hearts open and close. And so we start where we are. And one of the metaphors that for me is really useful is of a river that's flowing, and if we, if in some way, what happens is that we aren't willing to feel the river of experience, and there comes this little stagnant pond where things get shut off, and a kind of algae grows, and there's not movement, and there's not an allowing. But if moment by moment, there's this agreement let this life just flow through me, okay, whatever it is, these sounds wash through, these sensations, then we become like the whole river, the whole current of the river, and what we realize is that we're the awareness it's living through, there's space. This has become a, a more and more helpful metaphor the just letting the whole river flow through versus trying to control things and becoming a controlled stagnant little pool because I moved to live right near the river now so even if I'm not there I'll just imagine the river and that whatever I'm feeling whether it's anxious or uptight or sad or happy I'll just feel like these are currents of the river that are just flowing through So let me invite you to just take a moment, because this is the beginning of loving what is, this willingness to be present for whatever currents are here. So the invitation is to pause right now. And we're really setting the groundwork for this open-heartedness. by allowing ourselves to connect with exactly what we're experiencing in this moment. And if there's something going on in your life that's affecting this moment, something you know that you're entering into over these next few days or something that you're carrying with you, it's fine to include that and sense, okay, so what's really the state of my heart right now? what is happening inside me right now? for some it might be a sleepiness or maybe a physical kind of discomfort and for others maybe a feeling of vibration and tingling and aliveness For some anxiety, for others maybe sadness, for others a feeling of happiness or peace. Start right where you are. Sense that these are currents of the river. just listening to and feeling what's happening and letting it move through these sounds washing through these sensations exactly as it is right now completely allowing this life to live through you whatever the mood of the heart is just to say yes again letting it flow through, live through you without any resistance you can let the breath support you in this presence, sensing as the breath comes in really receiving and allowing and opening to the breath letting the breath touch you, letting it touch all your cells even the spaces between the cells relaxing open receiving the moment with the out breath a dissolving outward not holding on a real letting go you settle more into this presence. You might explore what it really means to love the breath, the sense the breath is the beloved and as it flows in there is a, a real sense of savoring the preciousness of it, opening to it fully, the way you'd open to a beloved. and with the out-breath riding the breath out offering your whole being outward letting go as presence deepens it connects us with loving presence it becomes loving presence on the way we find out there is a resistance a holding on and we just be with that let that current live through us So the first pathway to open-heartedness is starting right where we are, absolutely where we are, not thinking it should be different, and letting how it is move through us without controlling, without resisting. This is the liberating practice of mindfulness. The second pathway I want to explore with you tonight we use because we have such strong conditioning to scan for what's wrong. We're not rigged for gratitude, we're rigged for complaining. Our psychobiology is rigged to notice what's wrong, to remember what might go wrong, to rehearse how we can avoid what's going to go wrong. I mean, that's part of our survival mechanism. Survival and gratitude historically didn't necessarily go together, you know, in terms of making our way. So, part of spiritual practice, because we're in this trance of what is wrong, is to open up out of the trance and remember, reconnect with what we love. In other words, we're not getting Pollyanna-ish and fixating on, oh, I love this and bad stuff isn't happening, this isn't about wearing yet another set of rose-colored glasses, it's really about being more whole including what we've left out. You might notice how the habit is for you of fixating on the what's wrong. And I don't mean in the big life dramas necessarily. It's amazing how our whole mood and body and mind can sour and contract in little ways through the day so that we're no longer able to appreciate. Then it might be like for me today, when I went to the post office and there was only one person in there ahead of me and I thought, oh joy, oh joy, and that person had so many packages it took, I don't know, 15 minutes and I could feel my body tightening and I wasn't appreciating those moments. I was kind of in my resentment place. So it's the niggling little things. It might be that we realize we've gone shopping, we get home, we unpack and we realize we forgot to get our favorite cereal or drink. But it's like that. And then our body's tight and it's a while till it unwinds. Have you noticed? We just kind of fixate on how we want it different. One of the ways that we fixate is we get hooked on that we have certain very compelling sense of, oh, this matters. I just have to get this done and then I'll relax and enjoy things around me. Or once I get to the airport and I know I'm going to make the plane, then I'll just sit back and relax. Or once I get the raise that I really need, then I can do it. Or once my child gets the grades that make me confident that she's on track. Or It's the if-only mind. And we can spend our whole life waiting to tie together the loose ends, waiting for certain things to fall into place so then we can enjoy the vacation or enjoy our breath or be in the moment. We wait. We do. We wait. I read a short essay uh, that a woman wrote um, after her father's death and I wanted to share it with you. In the weeks before his death my father, a blustery man's man of a guy who had difficulty communicating anything that was not a strongly held opinion became someone else who I had vaguely sensed was there in him but never before met. I could talk to this other father in ways that would not have been possible in all the years before. My father was outstanding in his profession and in one of these last conversations, I asked him what he felt was the contribution he had made to the world that made his life feel worth it to him. I thought he would point out one of his many award winning projects, but he had smiled and said, You, of course. I do not recall ever having another word of praise from him in my whole lifetime, but it was enough. You, of course. So many of us know that uh, death becomes an advisor, as it's said in the Carlos Castaneda books, that when we really get it that life is short, when we really get it that we're mortal, that we might not have so long, there's a kind of coming into focus. And some of the more, pet, the pettiness, as it said, you know, when death puts its hand on our left shoulder, the pettiness falls away. And even more, is in this story, there is a remembering of what we really cherish. We stay aligned more moments. There's more appreciation. It's, there was a um, bit of research done on the happiness level of elderly people versus younger people. And contrary to what was expected in this research, it turned out that elderly people by and large were happier. Because with younger people, there was always a sense of have to do more, get more, get on my way, prove something. And with elderly people, there's more a sense of life is short and I'm going to enjoy this. Now that's very simplified and kind of a blanket kind of thing. But there's a wisdom in there. There's a wisdom of seeing the shape of our incarnation and letting that remind us not to get waylaid so much not to wait. So the second pathway, the first pathway is be with what's here and that openness. The second pathway is very intentionally deconditioning that habit to fixate on what's wrong or to fixate on just got to tie these loose ends together, to decondition it by intentionally remembering what we love, bringing it to mind. Now, there are many ways of doing it. The Buddha said, basically, whatever you frequently dwell on to that the mind will be inclined. So if what you dwell on most of the time is how other people are going to think of you or if you're going to fail, that's what the mind is inclined towards. That's what your biochemistry will keep on re-experiencing. You'll live in that soup. If, instead, your mind is inclined towards seeing something beautiful and going, Oh... You know, or thinking, Oh, that person, what can I do to be of help there? That's where your biochemistry and your heart and your spirit will go. It's amazing, whatever we think of affects our entire karma. Whatever you're thinking affects your mood, your behavior, as Gandhi said, you know, it really affects your character and your destiny, your habit of thought let's do a brief reflection on this, we'll just check it out again, in this pause, just feel yourself right here take a few breaths and as a warm-up This is how we direct our mind. Direct your mind to the word trouble. Just say trouble to yourself, trouble. And keep repeating it and just notice what happens as you repeat it. You can say something's wrong, trouble. Just be curious, see what happens. Now take a few breaths and try on the word kindness, kindness, being kind, friendly. Just notice your body, your heart, your mind. Again, a few breaths. And now bring to mind someone that you care about Maybe, if you can, somebody you care about that you might be seeing in the next day or two. And just for a moment begin by sensing how this person can annoy you, what's bothersome. Just hear what the person might be saying or how they look or behave. They can get to you. Where you get resentful. we are just learning to move our mind in different ways notice what happens in your body, your heart and breathe again and then same person What is it that really makes them dear to you? What is it you appreciate? Let the image be there when they're really in their kindness when there's a glistening in the eye or aliveness, genuine amusement And notice what happens as you reflect on this with your heart and your body. And now just include the wholeness of that being, both their human, erotic, whatever characteristics and just the basic goodness, the dearness that's there. And just let it all be there for now. Let the whole river flow through you. Their whole beingness, their humanity, their imperfection, their goodness and aliveness. Explore what happens when you really let it all be there and just appreciate the wholeness of it. What's your sense of your own being when you're just letting yourself receive the fullness of who they are, letting it live through you? In cultivating this open-heartedness, the idea is not to simply um, constantly say, Oh, what's good about this person? What's good about this person? First, we're trying to decondition the habit of, because we are so habituated to, to blame and resentment and so on, by just widening it. But it's really about opening to truth. It's about letting the whole river move through us and then our appreciation actually becomes more intense and more real because we're allowing the wholeness to be there. Now last week we explored the loving-kindness practice we began and we're going to be exploring these uh, cultivations of the heart for the remainder of this year. But in the loving-kindness practice the training is to be able to pause and bring someone to mind and really see past the veils of our conditioning right to the essence of what we're appreciating and to offer from that place of appreciation our blessings and our care. The gratitude practice widens it not just with other people but to begin to pause and see the beauty and the mystery and the wonder that's around us all the time. There's a description of this that one Zen teacher uh, described beautifully his own experience. He says, People often ask me how Buddhists answer the question, Does God exist? The other day I was walking along the river. I was suddenly aware of the sun shining through the bare trees, its warmth, its brightness. And all this completely free, completely gratuitous, simply there for us to enjoy. And without my knowing it completely spontaneously, my two hands came together and I realized I was making gasho, bowing, namaste. And it occurred to me that this is all that matters, that we can bow, that we can bow, just this, just this. It really is the most beautiful expression of an awake heart that we can encounter this world and something in us, we don't have to formally bow, but there's something in us that really is honoring and cherishing and loving and appreciating what's here. And it's not a self, really, that's bowing. It's more, because when we're feeling gratitude, and those of you that have touched into this know, it's too big a feeling for a self or an ego to hold. It's almost like this silent, still place, this silence that can really let the wonder in. The self has fallen away. When there's a profound kind of gratitude, it's washing through us. There's a lot of space. So we can train to get out of the way and appreciate by pausing and by noticing when it's when there is something really beautiful, when there is exquisite music or when we are listening to the geese or when there is a sense of the color, of the brilliance of the leaves or the sky. We can be alert and receptive and pause. Kurt Vonnegut says, when things are going sweetly and peacefully, please pause for a moment and then say out loud, if this isn't nice, what is? (laughs) Try it. It's really fun. First of all, you kind of get amused at yourself. But then there's this sense of the wonder. We're letting the wonder in. Annie Dillard said it's this way. She says, every day is a god. Each day is a god. And holiness holds forth in time. I worship each God. I praise each day splintered down and wrapped in time like a husk. A husk of many colors spreading at dawn fast over the mountain split. Every day is a God. Each day is a God. And holiness holds forth in time. So the two practices that bring us to this open-hearted presence starting where we are it's the presence itself, just noticing and allowing just what's here to live through us and then very intentionally remembering what we love and we're going to practice with that in a few moments the benefit, the gift, is we touch into a natural sense of abundance You know, we go around so much with the scarcity model of what's missing, what's wrong, how we don't have enough. We touch into this incredible sense of abundance, that this fullness of being. It's as Blake said, that gratitude is heaven itself. So there's a, a beautiful description of this abundance, that instinctively we know this truth from first floating in the ocean womb of our mother as she is held by the earth that gave birth to us all and then poet Allison Luterman reminds us she says consider the generosity of the one-year-old who has no words to exchange with you yet instead offers up her favorite drooled-on blanket her green rhinoceros as big as she is her battered cardboard books swung open on their soggy pages If you were outdoors, she would hand you a dead beetle, a fistful of grass, a pebble, by way of introduction, or just because. And if a moment later she wanted it back, it would be for the joy of the game that makes of every simple object an offering. In the same way sun drapes a buttered scarf across your face, rose opens herself to your glance, and rain shares its divine melancholy, The whole world keeps whispering or shouting to you, nibbling your ear like a neglected lover." So the gift is abundance, that we actually walk through our day and there's this adventure because we can breathe in and let ourselves be touched. The gift is also that we can breathe out and there's a joy in giving. Science now, through these magnetic resonance, can tell that when we are feeling gratitude, the left frontal cortex lights up and it's accompanied by positive affect. We feel good. Science also has researched and found that when we're giving, when we're generous, not in a way that's dutiful, but really giving, there's that same happiness. Why? we're at home in the fullness of what we are. We're living in that abundance. There's no longer that dukkha of wanting it differently. Life is living through us. The Buddha described, upon awakening, it was described that he taught the parames, the paramitas, the great perfections. The first one was Donna our generosity. It's that, that when we're awake and feeling that wholeness there's this natural way that life flows through us, we want to give. It's like not giving would be getting stopped up and constipated. We're in this flow of life. And one of the beautiful ways that he taught it was not in a sense of thou shalt be generous but rather that generosity is an expression of kind of inner freedom And the basic way we are generous is we give our blessings. You know, in some way we give our love. Maybe as a way of closing, one of my favorite descriptions of this generosity, these blessings is a story by Rachel Naomi Remen, who I very much admire as a teacher and writer and physician. And she describes her grandfather's generosity of spirit, how when she was young he used to spend time and tell her about her goodness. What a beautiful way to give a blessing, you know. And he gave her a name, Neshumala, which means little beloved soul. And I want to read you what she writes. She says, When he died there was no one left to call me this anymore. At first I was afraid that without him to see me and tell God who I was I might disappear. But slowly over time I came to understand that in some mysterious way I had learned to see myself through his eyes and that once blessed we are blessed forever. Many years later when in her extreme old age my mother surprisingly began to light candles and talk to God herself, I told her about these blessings and what they had meant to me. She had smiled at me sadly. I have blessed you every day of your life, Rachel, she told me. I just never had the wisdom to do it out loud. So this path of practice of awakening this heart is grounded in presence and then nourished by this practice of breathing in and letting ourselves be touched, breathing the wonder in and breathing out and offering our blessings and that we can practice by offering them out loud that each of us in the next day could bring someone to mind that matters and let our blessing really be manifest, let them know their goodness in some way let them know our love. Stephen Levine says it, he says that if you had three days to live who would you call and what would you say and why aren't you doing that now (laughs) not to wait so we'll do a final practice of gratitude with each other in our own hearts and this will be very short but I'd like to invite you to again let yourself sit in a way that allows you to feel alert awake and also relaxed we begin by starting with where we are in this moment what does it really mean to love what is? to sense how attention is the deepest form of love that we can listen to what is and feel what is and discover that we love what is this breath these sounds this life that's living through us can help to feel with each breath that there really is a opening to receive. As so if you're really inviting and allowing the river to flow through you to touch you to touch your soul. Now with the out breath to continue letting it flow through you and out. Surrendering. Surrendering into this vast mystery that holds this life, to allow to come to mind that which you're grateful for in this life. And there may be many things, or maybe a person that comes to mind some expression of beauty, some nature you love and in these next few moments just to simply whisper, I am grateful and then just fill in the blank but whisper it out loud in the same way we can offer our blessings we can express our gratitude so just begin to whisper, I am grateful the sincerity of your heart and whispering what you're grateful for. What do you love? What do you love? Let your attention settle with something that really is alive for you, that you're grateful for. And sense what makes you grateful for this. What's so poignant about it. And then let yourself drop the thing and just feel the gratitude itself. Inhabit the gratitude itself. Let the gratitude be the river that's living through you Nothing to resist or hold on to Just become that great silence and stillness and let the wonder in Closing the way we opened with this sound current of awe, this letting go into the mystery, into love, into presence. So we'll just begin chanting together. Please inhale deeply and feel free to harmonize.